For August 3rd, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 631. Would that we all could be rad indeed. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like a gang of kids on BMX bikes, tearing up the dirt in your small town. We're never happier than when we are uh, sitting around talking about the things that we love. We love them more uh, when we love them together. Wait. I heard it when I said it. I heard it that time. All right. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my rad friends, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Far out, Matthew. <laughs> so, uh, as a child, I had various experiences with summer camp. I don't know what you're... I actually... I, have we talked about summer camp on the podcast? I'm not sure that we have, but I had various day camp experiences. One, like, sleepaway camp uh, sort of experience, and then kind of, like, activity type of, you know, camps and weeks and things like this. And it seemed, you know, growing up in the 80s, that a highlight of all of these was some kind of campfire overnight cookout barbecue party thing where like instead of sleeping in your cabin or instead of going home from a day camp you would stay and like bring a sleeping bag and like uh unfurl on the lawn and you know have a have a like a hot chocolate and s'mores kind of dinner and um and then uh and then you'd watch a film together. Now, this is probably not the case because these were, you know, at least I'm given to understand that these were reputable establishments that they they had many insurances and in some cases even a certification or two. Uh where these things were, I mean, hopefully someone at least knew CPR uh for the amount of swimming that we did. But the 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 head canon I have of these is that they had like a bed sheet that they strung from between two trees flapping in the breeze. And uh, that there was a 16 millimeter, like a rented 16 millimeter projector and some tinny stereo speakers that one of the counselors like brought from home or something like this. And the highlight of these overnight camp things was to watch a 16 millimeter film Um together. And that uh that is how I saw a number of films in the 80s and later the 90s, you know, or into the early 90s when I was 10, 11, 12, and that got complicated because in the very last the very last part of that, uh there were girls involved and so like it introduced a whole a whole other dynamic that's not uh, not the subject of this podcast, but so I, I saw a number of films this way. I saw the film, the Kevin Bacon film Tremors for the first time in this, uh, in this medium. And you know what? It was enhanced tremendously by the sort of group experience of the kids because it was almost certainly inappropriate for us because it was pretty scary. The little worms with the little worms inside them. Um, but I also was introduced to uh, a masterpiece of cinema, the 1986 BMX motocross classic film directed by uh, former stuntman Hal Needham, Rad. Rad. And it is a movie about BMX bikes. And when Pete Fenzel said, hey, there's this film that's get, that's had a 4K uh, restoration and is being uh, being released to digital this summer. I guess it was going to play some festivals, um, but that obviously uh, did not end up happening this summer. And so it's available to stream uh, on a number of platforms. I was like, that movie. That movie, I remember it from when I was a kid, and I watched it like below a flapping bedsheet. Uh, and the 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 BMX bike tricks. It's um, uh, uh, I I just like everything cool in my head as a kid. Like everything rad is in this movie, at least insofar 
as I recall. And so we watched that film and are going to talk about it on this episode. Was it rad? Was I disappointed? Did I have terrible taste as a child? Hang out and we'll find out. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> Mark, what even happens in Rad? It's a movie about young people enacting radical social change in their community and the world. They take down global capitalism uh, and they seize the means of production. No, that's not real. It, it kind of, well, let's talk about that. Maybe that's what happens. Okay. Um, I do not have any childhood fa- uh, uh, association with this movie or prior affinity to it. And so like a lot of things, you know, that uh, arrest people's imagination as kids and you watch this as an adult, it's like it's it, 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 I, I can't I'm like, like glowing over this the way that Matt was. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about this movie. Spoiler alerts for Rad. In all seriousness, though, like, you know, please stick with this podcast listening to this. If you haven't seen this movie, we do encourage you to see it. Yeah. I think it's, it is can a good time. I, can I just yeah. add up uh-huh. front that like this movie is available for rent or purchase anywhere that you would rent or purchase digital movies. It, the re-release, the 4K re-release is on. It's on Amazon. It's on uh, Google Play or the Apple Store. You should be able to find it in any of those places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. that's why we're talking about it, because it's just been re-released. Okay. And it's, yeah. and it's, avail- um, it's available to it's available. It's available. To you can watch I'll, it if you want to. I'll put links in the in the blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So imagine, if you will, in a world where there's a small town kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, kids, a, a, a scrappy group of kids that you would find in Stranger Things or E.T. love racing their BMX bikes around town uh, and just causing trouble and getting disapproving looks from the, the cops. In rolls the Hell Track BMX motocross Super Bowl of BMX biking event, uh, which is being sponsored by a big evil company and uh, the business tycoon. I guess like he has this whole conspiracy, which is confusingly unfolded over the course of the movie, where uh, he kind of guarantees the outcome of it with uh, his special BMX star, who is basically Johnny from Karate Kid. Um, And they all roll into town and um, it's this it's this big deal. And they let a a, a local kid uh, into the qualifying race, who uh, is our hero crew, C.R.U., um, uh, and that's his big chance to make it in BMX biking. Oh, but he's got to skip his SATs, much of the disapproval of his mother, Talia Shire, um, uh, aka um, uh, Rocky uh, Adrian's Adrian from the Rocky movies. Um, so he he qualifies for that. Along the way, he falls in love with uh, a, 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 the, the female moto BMX champion uh, who is uh, sort of in cahoots with the corporate uh, structure, but not really. Um, but uh, uh, let's see here. He, he goes on, he, 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 quali- he wants to qualifying, but then uh, the evil corporate overlords invent a bunch of rules to prevent him from uh, actually competing in hell track in the, in the championship. Uh, but the local community comes together uh, to raise the $50,000 sponsorship needed. Uh, he, uh, he wins the race uh, in spite of uh, Cobra Kai trying to sweep his leg and knock him out of the race. Uh, he triumphs over that. He beats uh, Johnny. Uh, he gets the girl and, um, and the, the rival biker actually comes to join their upstart BMX bike crew. Uh, the rad racers um, and it is a kind of a classic 80s feel good uh, movie with young people overcoming odds and the evil adults to try to keep them down um, it was entertaining it was uh, uh, odd a little sloppy at times uh, but I enjoyed it um, did I leave any any details from that Pete or Matt well I would say one thing that's kind of important well then maybe it isn't important to you uh, is that if you had a bike of this sort the corporation that rolls into town that is attempting to set up a big race for the purpose of promoting this particular brand of bicycles um, is the is the mongoose bicycle company and and I don't know if you guys had I had a mongoose bike growing up uh, it is worth knowing that there is no such thing as the mongoose bicycle company um, it is it is a brand that has been sold by a variety of different companies and has been sold around to different companies over the course of time but at the time this movie was made there was no um, CEO of mongoose bicycles so it's semi-fictional. But it is one manufacturer of BMX bicycles. This is not J.P. Morgan, right? <laughs> that is coming to town. Pardon me. I'm just so choked up thinking about this classic of cinema. And the other thing that you didn't mention, uh, uh, was it Brad? Uh, is it Brad Taylor, right? Um, is his um, 
Bart Taylor. I keep wanting to call him Brad, but his I name keep in the calling, movie is Bart. I keep calling him Johnny from uh, from Karate Kid, but it's not. Yeah. He's like he's blonde uh, in contrast to the brown haired protagonist, and he is uh, arrogant or, or he. he He's sort of the. He's not really the bad guy, though. It's really the, the corporation is the right. bad guy. So, so there is a. There's a lot going on in this movie, uh, and it's quite delightful um, at times. Uh, he is played by a Olympic gold medalist, Bart Connor, um, who is the husband of Nadia Comaneci in real life, uh, and his gymnastics are not on display at all in the course of this movie. But um, he, there is a there is a particular cyclist who is supposed to be the best BMX cyclist in the world, uh, both at, I guess, freestyle and motocross, uh, which is the sort of doing tricks and also racing around on, on tracks. Um, and the CEO of the Mongoose Bicycle Company has manufactured or has ordered to manufactured a line of merchandise that features the face of Bart Taylor, the man, right, is what he's referred to, the coolest guy Everybody in this world knows who Bart Taylor is. He's the biggest BMX bicycle guy in the world. And the sure, launch like, of this uh, line men, of merchandise. Men want to be him. Women want to dance with him on a bicycle. Yes. The only literally the only person who doesn't want to be with him is Lori Laughlin, the love interest in this movie, who he casually sexually harasses and then like threatens the job of behind closed doors. So he's definitely a heelish dude, but he's not like quite as heelish as the bad guys in The Karate Kid, because all he really does is ride bicycles and act smug. Um, but but the point is that and he's also a child. Well, I guess he's supposed to be in his early 20s or late teens or something. Um, but the, the, this is a movie which has a very strong dynamic of the uh, and we'll talk about this more about this sort of this versus the karate kid. The adults are really the people who are making meaningful decisions in the world in terms of how this is all going to work. And the children are still children. Right. This is not a situation where, like, the kids are, you know, oh, man, the kid has to, like, step up and kill the president in order to liberate the country. Right. This is not like like the Hunger Games or whatever. Right. Um, this is like the kid is his goal is to race in a BMX bicycle race and hopefully do well. <laughs> and, and his conflict is with his mom, who rightfully thinks this is very dangerous and that he already has something scheduled for that day. That is sort of the scope of the conflict for the kid, which is, of course, for the kid, a huge deal. Right. But for the adults is relatively paltry. The stakes for the adults between the sort of uh, campy, gay, panicky CEO of the Mongoose Bicycle Company and uh, and the sort of down home crotchety but well ultimately well-meaning uh thornton wilder our town character played by burton timmer who i guess is the mayor of the town no he's not the mayor he's like this sort of elder statesman he's the deep state of the town council uh, who uh, who is sort of the power behind the mayor or something like that the deal is that when bart taylor wins this big race that the mongoose bicycle company is sponsoring and is setting up is just establishing and owning and setting up in this particular small town just for whatever reason uh then all of these t-shirts with his face on it are going to go on sale in a whole bunch of stores around the country. But if he does poorly or doesn't win, there's a strong belief that this merchandise will not get to go on sale. And the CEO of Mongoose and the presumably shareholders of Mongoose will lose a lot of money uh, because they've invested a bunch of money in T-shirts with this kid's face on it. Um, one would think this would be a relatively small part of their operations next to the manufacture and sale of bicycles. But, you know, T-shirts are a big deal, yeah, but you gotta, as you is also think evidence in this, this movie. This is before the print-on-demand, uh, you know, craze right, of the right. Internet. So they have just warehouses, warehouses stacked full, pallets, <laughs> ca- you know, of T-shirts. Right. As as far as it, – it's like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> They, 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 bet, they, bet, they, they bet the entire BMX farm on yes. this merch. Yes. Just, uh, but it is, it, yeah. Sorry, point of, point of uh, order, Mr. Speaker. The, the, uh, I just realized that, that uh, BMX motocross is redundant, like ATM machine or pin number. So, uh, right. you know, but a, <laughs> a BMX bike is not redundant because it is a bicycle motocross bicycle uh bicycle right. but um a bicycle motocross motocross is uh you know should not be a thing so my 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 apologies for uh for misspeaking earlier and also for those not familiar i believe a bicycle motocross bicycle motocross aka a bmx motocross bike is a fixed gear bicycle with like a 20 inch wheel or smaller 
that is that is uh, used because of its particular ratios in doing tricks and riding on steep, muddy hills and things like that. It has a mountain bike tire. It has a chunky mountain bike tire, just in case you're not aware of like what it is. Right. It's and it's a kind of bike that's very popular for children. It's not as complicated and it's more durable and cheaper than a uh, than a road bike would be or a hybrid bike, that sort or any sort of adult bike. Um, but it has its sort of role as a as a kind of trick apparatus, similar to a skateboard um, a, as such. Uh, and this movie is sort of pre X Games in that respect. And it is w- it is. I, uh, yeah. I would add that it looks kind of funny seeing a proportionally, you know, grown people. I and mean, granted, they're teenagers and children in this movie, but they're, you know, five, six foot full sized people riding these things, bicycles with tiny bikes. Um, because the wheels look small relative to the size of their legs and the whole frame is small and they, and you, they are like pumping their legs furiously and then like doing this like back and forth motion to maintain balance on these uh, uh, it has a sort of clown car effect of a bicycle, um, which kind of undercuts the seriousness of the whole enterprise and the fact that the final race is called Hell Track. <laughs> um, very honestly, Hell Track. But the, and then you see them on these bikes. That's an important thing if you haven't seen this, like kind of visualize what's going on here. Oh, and then we'll talk about the aesthetic of all the thing as well, too. It is very, very 80s. It looks 80s in terms of the hair and the clothes. And oh, does it sound 80s with the killer, killer soundtrack full of synth and wailing guitars and welling vocals. It's it's all like it's a delight for the senses is what it is. Yeah, I felt like they wanted this movie to be so 80s that they actually made it in the 80s. Which is kind of amazing <laughs> because most of the 80s stuff I watch now is like made in the 2010s or maybe the 1990s. But this thing, this was actually in the 80s. So it's like people just wore their clothes. It was crazy. In acting school, I had a really good costume design uh, professor who talked about uh, – who worked on movies and, and she talked about, you know um, – it's probably wrong to think of it as a costume. You have to think of it as clothes, right? And in Stranger Things, the kids are wearing costumes, and they look like 80s costumes. In in Rad, the kids are wearing clothes, and they look like 80s clothes, right? And there's just like a, there's sort of a naturalness, there's an unselfconsciousness to it. But it is that, I mean, it is that aesthetic, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, but a lot less, I don't know, a lot less uh, sort of... Uh, uh, in hindsight, a lot less like um, uh, fashion designerified, and a lot more jumpsuits, right? A lot more like <laughs> really with the triangle shoulders that the well, you know the, the triangle those shoulders. jumpsuits are are from those are from V, I believe. I think they are leftover costumes from V, <laughs> <laughs> and those two dudes, the twins, the, the sort of bad boy motocross twins wearing those are the screenwriting team of the Hayes brothers who brought you the Conjuring movies or would later in life. So they oh are. God, uh, that's amazing. Quite an introduction to them. Yeah, those two, uh, those yeah. two, those two corners of a homosocial love triangle. Uh, it is <laughs> awkward that the film makes them twins because that's uh, you know because they they just seem like they're they're in the dancing scene and of course there's a big dance there's a big like yeah. uh, high school dance. Um, you know they're dancing with a, like a girl in a zebra uh, unitard. Um, a purple zebra. Which might be a costume. That might qualify as a costume. <laughs> well, yeah, she's wearing it self The character is wearing it self-consciously. But the, it's not the actor wearing a costume. It's the character wearing a costume, which is completely different. But the, um, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but, like like a shower curtain in The Karate Kid, right? right. It's not even not actually wear a shower curtain to school. It's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, uh, you know, the uh, they're dancing with the, and it's sort of a two-on-one situation. They're like all in a line, kind of hip thrusting. It's every parent's worst nightmare. But then they do a thing where they sort of slide down and like they're kind of in a crouched position, dancing a little bit softer now, a little bit. Soft, except that's not playing. It's not a. It's not a wedding. 
um, with the obligatory wedding dancing that uh, sometimes we're unlucky enough to have to do. It's uh, it's at an awesome dance in the school gym, and they they uh, they get down and they're like eye level with this young woman's crotch in her unitard, and they only have eyes for each other. <laughs> they're like the woman is like the woman is an obstacle <laughs> in right. the way, and they do all these like back and forth moves where the boys can make eye contact with one another like opposite the gyrating hips uh of this attractive young woman and so uh you know it's it's just a little you know i don't know it's a there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here uh there's a lot to unpack in this this film and it's not the only uh moment where i thought wow there is some there you know there is some sort of latent homosocial um you know, content here that really uh, the the critical apparatus to discuss would not would not exist until um, God, I have to you know who who wrote uh, about the homosocial love triangle Sedgwick maybe or uh, I'm gonna have to look up my my uh, critical theorists in a second here. But yeah, man. But um, sorry, I, f- I feel like we're going. Down, yes. rabbit holes, and not, we're, we're like <laughs> you going. Mean, you mean we've, we're starting? We are ass sliding down a rabbit hole. Ass sliding. What do we call this? <laughs> ass sliding. That's Sorry. from the movie. That's not just an inside joke from us. That's in the movie. <laughs> it's like no, it's not. It's not like water slide. We're not going down a water slide in this obviously constructed water slide that they have to like yes. slide into the lake. No, we're ass sliding together. Um, so. Let's uh but Rad Rad is very Rad is very rad. And and Pete, you had some like very good ideas as to as to why the experience of watching this film was so like fun and in some ways really in satisfying in really interesting ways. Sure, yeah, definitely. So I have a good friend who um I ran this movie. I told him I was watching this movie, right? Uh for the podcast. Or I told him that it had come out. And I asked him about it. And he is a rollerblader, right? He was a rollerblader in middle school and high school and uh still occasionally rollerblades at the local skate parks uh with, with the other folks around his own age who still kind of rollerblade and, and so on and so forth. And he was instantly aware of it, right? Like, oh, you know, that's that's a movie where it's not that you necessarily think that it's good. Oh, because I should say the one one notable thing about this movie we haven't mentioned is that at a certain there was a survey or there was an analysis done of something like 17,000 movies on Rotten Tomatoes and Rad had the highest difference. This is the movie with the highest difference between the reviewer score and the audience score of any movie on Rotten Tomatoes, panned by critics, beloved by fans. Just this is a very beloved movie. And what my friend the skater said, right, is, uh, well, you know, it's not that you know that it's good, but it's that you see these people up on the screen and they're you, right? Um, and so then I made a bunch of references to like, you know, Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther and like the issues of representation, which is on a different scale. Right. This is a different scale than rad. Uh, but it is nice to know this is something of a universal phenomenon in the sense that you see the people on screen. And you're like, that's me. That's my culture. Right. And uh, and so you identify with it. Now, I don't necessarily I don't I don't have much to say about that because I'm not part of the culture. I can't validate this at all. I, I don't know if this is an authentic experience. I trust my friend, whatever. But what I will say is that if you look at Karate Kid, right, which is the most directly antecedent film to Rad to the point where they probably told the rude kid to be like the kid from the Karate Kid, right? Like the blonde kid who's being mean and stuff. Um, the Karate Kid is like is like 40% karate and like, no, it's like 30% karate and 70% kid, right? It's like mostly about this adolescent kid That's who great. has no dad, right? And he's finding this new father figure and he's trying to learn how to stand up for himself and about violence, right? And, and about, you know, life, quote unquote. Uh, and the idea that he has to fight in a big karate tournament at the end of the movie, it's not incidental, but it's not really the biggest thing happening in the movie, right? It's like, I think did I have the mixture there about right, Matt? Like seventy thirty kid to karate and that's karate put, kid. That's put really well. That's put better than than I could have put it. But it's something that I've thought. Yeah, yeah. Whereas rad, uh-huh. they don't even bother putting the kid in the name of the movie. Right? Like rad is is like mostly rad, <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that the the bicycling in the movie, and and this is I think interesting because it it's not that it it's not that it neglects 
the dimension of the movie that's about the kids and their lives and like the dialogue scenes and stuff. But the movie really heavily invests in the BMX bicycling scenes to the point where you get the sense that you're looking at, you know, actual really highly talented and skilled BMX bicyclists who may not really be on film in a lot of other respects like this. There, there are, there are, I'm sure, you know, tapes of them and documentaries of them and all this stuff. But, but at this time, the movie rad is a non-trivial share of how people will see the work of like any of these, you know, young but impressive tricksters in in a time in which it was not as big of a deal as it would be years later when the X Games would kind of popularize drinking Mountain Dew and flipping upside down as a general way to spend your time. Um, and because of this, right, the the narrative, the sort of Karate Kid narrative, it shows its seams and it kind of breaks apart. And the the flow of it that that is sort of implied by the sequence of events, I think, really does collapse to an extent. And you start seeing a, a different story that's underlying Rad than the one that maybe feels comfortable and that you expect when they were structuring the movie they wanted you to see, which is sort of a local boy gets the girl and makes good movie about a kid who likes fair play and wants to win and is very competitive and is confronted with the option to throw the match right by the big company. Uh, because they want him to they, they make a deal. They offer a deal to him. Oh, if you throw the match because we have all these T-shirts with Brad Taylor, because we don't want to send all of the Bart Taylor merchandise, you know, to to Suriname. Right. Or to like, you know, we don't want to like have to ship it overseas. They didn't even do that then, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to be at a loss for all this Bart Taylor merchandise if he doesn't win the race, which seems pretty stupid because there's a lot of really good BMX racers in this in this race, by the way. And it is not a foregone conclusion that Bart Taylor is going to win. It is a very dangerous race as well. Um, but. They make this deal to him. Oh, you know, if you take the money that we'll give you and we'll give you a job and we'll help you. Pr- well, you can promote this to small towns around the country. It'll be a really cool opportunity for you, especially since you're kind of you seem to only like bicycling and are not particularly interested in much else. Uh, this could be your dream job. Right. And he turns it down because he's not that kind of guy. Right. And, uh, and and he's not. And you would think, OK, it's because he's he's a fair he's a fair game guy. He's the white hat cowboy. He's the good guy. Right. And this is the good guy gets the girl kind of movie. But the scenes right when you boy, when you get to when you see the actual scenes of dialogue, they are like so stripped down. Right. They, they are so just just brutally economical in relaying to you the like basic gist of what is happening. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, I mean, I think the whole their whole uh, the whole part of the movie where they all work for USA Today on on uh, on uh, paper routes, right? And they support themselves somewhat with these paper routes by by delivering uh, newspapers around the town. I don't think there's there's like two lines of dialogue in that entire sequence, right? Um, and there's very little explanation. They don't really tell you a lot about who any of these people are all that much early on. Like you learn little bits here and there. And and so it sort of it comes together around these action scenes. And and when I say action, I really do mean like doing right. It's like, oh, like they're being chased by the police. Why? I'll leave that to Mark to explain later. Right? But it's like, why are the police chasing these kids on, on bicycles? It doesn't matter. They're like jumping the bicycles across the lumber yard. And the scene isn't about the kid being from the wrong side of the tracks or whatever, and the man and the cops and him. It's about the kid jumping the bike across the lumber yard. And, and there's this aspect oh, really? of it. I thought it was, um, uh, I thought it was really about the diminished manufacturing base and the kind of the Reagan, <laughs> the Reagan era economic yeah. devastation of the, you know, it's about the air traffic controllers union. That is what this movie is about. It's about Margaret Thatcher and the coal miners strike. No, this, this is a movie movie in which people ride and race and trick on these BMX bicycles as a means of realizing and actualizing themselves in a much more direct way and a much more way kind of in itself than they ever do karate in the karate kid. Yeah, let me Even put it, when let me they're put on it, Okinawa, right? Like Let me put it another it, way, Pete. The yeah. the BMX bikes, the biking is not a metaphor for anything. It's, yes, it's biking there right. like and biking is awesome. But it, it is, if I may say so, 
rat right yeah. and like that like uh and and that's what it is and so it's it's an interesting you know you would expect something like this and and look i'll leave it to to better people than me to say if this is sort of bad in terms of like literature in terms of dramatic storytelling uh i can tell you that it's rad but um like it is a, a sort of man versus self kind of story where the domain, the metaphorical domain that's established for that story is not the domain where the conflict is actually played out. You know, it's not like you need to, to grow up and stop being an a-hole and, uh, and then, you know, and, and by the way, this will be expressed through your uh, BMX um, competition. No, you need to grow up and stop being an a-hole, and the BMX competition is what it is, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> that, that, like, you, also, you also can continue to, to ride bicycles if you find that exciting for yourself. So when we're talking about bicycles and metaphors, let's like, uh, do a quick compare contrast with the different methods of transportation in, in uh, The Karate Kid and in this movie, right? If you remember, in The Karate Kid, um, uh, uh, Ralph Macchio... Um, at the beginning of the movie, he's like tooling around in his bicycle, and then the me kids come by, and then like they run him off the road, and they're on their dirt bikes, I believe, right? And then later on, like as part of his self actualization, he gets um, uh, a gifted a car from Mr. Miyagi, right? And that's like you know that's what he helps him get the girl, uh, and that is uh, you know showing that he's coming into himself, right? He's you know transportation all his metaphors and like you know signs that um, he is taking control of his own destiny and realizing his own potential. Right. Yes, Notably yes. in Rad, in this movie, um, there's a bike competition. The, one of the prizes for winning this, in addition to, like, I think, $100,000 cash, is a Corvette. Like, a, <laughs> honest to God, a cherry red, 80s, yes. totally radical Corvette. Uh, and the bad guys are seen uh, tooling around town in it, um, which is a little confusing because is that the prize car that's supposed to go to someone else and they're putting miles on it or whatever? Um, but uh, you never see it after that. You know, there's yeah. no triumphant shot of crew <laughs> tooling around in the Corvette at the end of the movie. This amazing prize that should have blown anyone's mind in any year, for that matter. Um, no, you don't see that. In fact, most notably, the end of the movie uh, is crew and uh, Johnny, quote unquote, quote unquote Johnny, um, you know, joining forces and they hoist the bike in the air and they freeze frame on that. I think that tells you pretty much all you need to know about this movie. It's about yeah. bikes. <laughs> right, right. So, like, I would even okay. I would also venture to say that if we're thinking about, if we wanted to think about where the metaphorical, where the metaphorical domain of the movie is played out, it is probably with his relationship with his little sister, who is something of a Jiminy Cricket personal conscience for him. And like the the movie has this, the movie has a lot going on with gender. Uh, there is, uh, and it, and it's not all bad, surprisingly. Although not all of it is good. Um, of course, it is assumed that the person who wins the hell the uh, hell track is going to be a man. You know, all of the all of the entrants are male and such. But there are there is a sort of uh, you know tomboy male presenting woman who is like a good friend and becomes like a partner of the male friend, and and they're they have a sexual relationship which is kind of surprisingly low key and kind of not expressed or discussed on camera uh like and the characters like comment on it which is interesting and strange and he has this relationship with the lord with laurie laughlin's character which again it's like yeah she likes him right um and he likes her but she has her own problems and he has his problems and their problems aren't really that related so it's it's sort of like it's a it's a sort of a aspect of the plot it's an aspect of the conflict but their their coming together is more about each of them finding a dimension of self-worth which enables them to come together with the other person like she is in this very kind of degraded diminutive position driving the truck for the bike of bicyclists which is like paradoxically lower status right and they all get to harass her and stuff and she wants to ride the bicycle herself and then when she does you know she meets this guy who also you know he wants to ride the bicycle for himself and i guess that's the way in which oh. they connect oh pete he wants to ride the bicycle <laughs> But but I guess what the uh, there there's this wonderful subplot in the movie where the the 
the crew's younger sister is the sort of tr- brutal truth teller about his cowardice, right? And his like uh, his kind of lack of commitment to doing the things that he needs to do in his life, and his his need to kind of step up and actually do stuff. Um, and at the same time, you know, there's a lot where. He needs to kind of pick her up and carry her. So, yeah, the most metaphorical scene in the movie is probably the scene where other than the dream ballet, which I guess we could get into as well. uh, The bicycle dream ballet is when Cruz's sister is at the playground and a for some, again, inexplicable reason. There is somebody at the playground who thinks that Bart Taylor is the coolest guy in the world. This this particular uh, not quite BMX celebrity whose line of clothes has not launched yet. But this person thinks that Bart Taylor is like the coolest guy and also has one of the shirts which hasn't been gone on sale yet. Right. And and the uh, this girl who is Cruz's sister objects to this, despite the fact that there is no context or pretext for crew to compete at BMX bicycling against Bart Taylor. They have never met. Right. He hasn't even been in the town. So like but she objects because on principle, she believes that crew is the best BMX bicyclist. And then she kicks the other girl in the shins and then crew has to comes by and gets her and picks her up from school. And the complaint or from the playground or from school or whatever, the complaint is, you know, you're late. Right. You weren't here. Um, and, And I feel like what that what that says to me metaphorically is that the little sister's belief in crew is a is a sort of reflection or manifestation of the way that crew as an adult is supposed to believe in himself and his inability to believe in himself in that way is related to the death of his father which he adjudicates with his mother right it has this sort of whole thing where um he he his father kind of like it's it's like it's like a better version of onward right where like the father left the kid a bike uh which is perhaps more useful than a deck of dungeons and dragons cards um and uh and like, you know, left the kid a bike and had, had sort of taken his own hands off of the bicycle handlebars, which is a really kind of chilling metaphor, right, for for, for dying. Um, and, and the kid had kind of felt control over himself. Um, and so the kid has to, like, ride the bike in order to kind of take on this individuation and this adulthood uh, and this kind of role in his family. But it's a family of his own mind rather than a family of, like disparate people who all have different things that they have to do with their time because like the mom is kind of a you know she has her own life it's not really on screen that much we're not really worried about her she's not winona rider from stranger things right like she's got her own problems and she doesn't bring them home to her kids right um it, this is from the perspective of the kids but that's what i would say is that like uh if there's any place in which the metaphorical dimension of the movie is enacted it's in like the relationship with the sister who then is the one who prints who makes the t-shirts that are then used to sort of skirt the manufactured rules that are put up to arbitrarily exclude crew from racing in the bmx uh, race right and so like the sister is the one who kind of brands the rad racing uh, company like she she brands this the idea is that he can't race in the hell track without a sponsor. And this is the attempt by the like alcoholic and incompetent sidekick to the uh, alcoholic incompetence uh, CEO of the non-existent mongoose bicycle company. Right. It's like we have to stop this teenager who's not an adult from racing in our bicycle race. Here's an idea. Make it so you have to to be 18 years old to race in the bicycle race that'll that'll fix it but no because literally everybody else i think is an is an adult um but no they're not going to do that it's uh it's that oh you have to have a sponsor right okay we have to have a sponsor we'll invent a brand of bicycling apparel which will be your sponsor and we will print the t-shirts for it and we will sell them at the events Right. Okay. Yeah, but your your sponsor needs to have fifty thousand dollars in sales. We will. It's a wonderful life. This you know, biznatch. We will George Bailey him, and the whole town will kind of buoy him up. Right. Um, that's that's really where the metaphor is adjudicated. And I say this because it it the relation because the metaphor isn't adjudicated in the bicycling. The relationship between the characters and the bicycling has this really potent earnestness to it that feels like really to me sublimely nostalgic past the point of being nostalgic because it's 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 not something that i experienced right like i had a mongoose bike but i wasn't allowed to ride it more than a block away from my house and unlike crew i didn't like talk back to my parents you know or to my mom about like the rules for where and when i could ride my bike um and uh and so he's such uh, a delinquent it's so rad 
<laughs> but he's not right. He has no, a paper no, no. route. Exactly. He, he has like six. Yeah. He has like six jobs. He takes yep. care of his little sister, like yep. att- attentively and like lovingly. Like he's a very good big brother, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even the, uh, and, and she, you know, she's clearly the brains of the operation. Yeah, that's right? for sure. Like in yep, the, in yep. this little allegory of the soul <laughs> of cruise right. life. Right? Uh, right. And that's, uh, you know, um, yeah, he's he seems like an ideal kid, and like when uh, Mister when Mister it's a wonderful when Mister Our Town, right? Like, yes, is like ah, played these... by Ray Walston of every TV show ever, yeah, uh, and also Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Anyway, sorry, continue. Right, um, no, and you you sort of almost like read more into that actor playing that character than should actually be there because he's like, and by the way, this guy. This character, the kind of crotchy old man character, goes on the biggest journey, has the biggest arc of anyone yeah, yeah. in the in the whole movie, right? Like crew, beginning of the movie, teenager, you know, not super responsible, doesn't have a ton of direction, you know. Uh yeah, you know, he's he's good egg. <laughs> Right, like yeah. getting works getting, hard, go, works hard, getting by. Yeah. End of the movie. He, was, he, went, he went from being a bad boyfriend to being a good boyfriend. Yes. Yeah, but to, to, to a different, different girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great that's a great lesson for kids. You're if you're a terrible if you're a terrible to date, dump your partner because it's probably their fault, and Lori Laughlin will appreciate you. <laughs> I mean, it helps to share an interest. It helps to not try to date somebody who has open contempt for you and everything that you love. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Who just like, what, you know, just rolls her eyes at your yeah. awesome BMX bike tricks. Yeah. Uh, Find someone who will roll into the dance with you on a BMX bike and <laughs> slowly and like lovingly gaze in your eyes as you both uh, perform impossible tricks in slow motion on your bike. So the delight and amaze with everybody looking around you. Find, okay. Can we talk, find can we someone, talk about, find talk someone about who looks at you the way crew looks at <laughs> the, 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 the mattresses, the mattresses on the, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. Go, go for it, Mark. Okay, so okay, so to set this up again for those who haven't seen this movie, um, for inexplicable reasons, right? As part of the festivities for Hell Track, a dance, a social event, a gala um, is held uh, in a high school gym. Uh, it, it's uh, but you know the participants of this are not just the high schoolers; it's also the ostensibly adult professional BMX bikers. Who are also there? Now we talked about you know the the homosocial dance moves with the twins and everything like that. But um, to set this up here, right, Lori Laughlin, who is brought in just kind of for, for, for promotional reasons, um, she sees outside of the dance crew doing amazing, uh, I guess, amazing BMX tricks, and decides that she, as you know, she's scheduled to be on the program to do her ex- exhibition tr- trick exhibition uh, at the dance, and des- uh, decides that she wants crew to join her. Um, and, uh, it's, it's like, it's an elaborate, like quite long, uh, bike ballet dance session that plays out. It's, I don't think it's quite as cool as they think it's supposed to be on screen. Um, but it, it, it plays out and, and, uh, well, the attraction between the two of them is, um, is, is, is quite evident again, by the way, they, they stare deeply into each other's eyes. Um, and then from there, a, a, one of film's greatest romances is born. Um, so what's the there there, I guess is the question for this, right? It's kind of surreal to watch. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, like it's supposed to be the showcase for bike stunts, but there's also definitely like, you know, they're just seated on a propped up bike while the camera moves <laughs> and, and, and the bike moves. Um, so what metaphorical function is this scene playing in the movie? Do you guys have any theories for that? I mean, so it's it's so my first thought in seeing it was just a real ache for feeling that way about the world. Just like, sure, exactly. Like, what do you remember? uh, You know, do you remember a time when the world kind of could go slow motion for you? You know, where like lights could, like, when everything important in your life was there on that dance floor, like, everything that mattered when there was a puzzle to unwind, right? Or like a, or like a, 
a light to sort of a your light to find, right? Step into that spotlight, right? Um, and I know there just something about also the fact that this movie was pretty clearly shot on film makes it feel so precious um, that they actually yeah. like filmed all of this. But I mean, there wasn't uh, but, really an yeah. option. I mean, I guess they could have videotaped it, but that you know that would no no movie. You know, no theatrically released are, movie. Are you talking about the grainy quality uh, of those scenes? Because like it's shot in very low light, and they have to like you know amp up the what the ISO on the film. Is that yeah, yeah? I was I, I felt like the effect that was created. I mean, I, I hadn't gotten into that at all, but I thought about it pretty strongly when I was watching it. The effect that's created by the lighting and the film is very magical in that and, and in that scene, and it doesn't and it, it does not serve the purpose of separating the experience. It's separating the scene from experience of reality, but rather connects it to an experience in reality wherein that quality of light felt present, right? Uh, whether it be was because you were in a dark room with a bright light or whether that's just sort of the way that it felt. It sort of feels impressionistically similar, right, to uh, to the way that you encountered that kind of moment. I mean, I think that it's um, – there's a shot in the very beginning of the movie – and I'm sure it's this is totally not I can't possibly be the intent, right, where the camera just focuses on the sun for just like a brief moment. Yeah, it's the this, first sh- it's yeah. the first shot of the movie, isn't it? It's the first that's right. That's right. That's see. right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I do believe qualifies uh, Rad uh, circa 1986 as as one of Wallace Stevens's supreme fictions. Right. Because it is the project of the sun. Right. BMX biking is the project of the sun. Um, by, by which I mean that, like, you know, the endeavors of human beings under the sun, the lives of people under the sun, uh, being, you know, from the book of Ecclesiastes and such. This idea that, like, we have our time. Right. Our sun rises and it sets and, and we're under the light. And this and the and the, the bicycling to me feels like this sort of revelry. It's like if like it's like. If, if if you could imagine a sort of utopian kind of existence, the idea where a human being is tasked with being as radical as possible is is pretty pretty much as good as it gets, right? Like uh, like if, if if the world were such that it were not necessary to do anything other than be radical, would that not be the best world, right? <laughs> um, and and uh, and because of course we would all take joy in each other's radicalness is the notion because because when you're in these sorts of things, yeah, there's rivalries and stuff but first and foremost when people are doing gnarly tricks other people appreciate that people are doing gnarly tricks and when people work hard and fall a lot before they get it like people appreciate that who are also trying and so i felt like the spotlight in the in the uh the spotlight in the gymnasium felt like a sort of night analog to the sun of the bicycling and this sort of idea that that the you know we live during the day and then we live at night we have our kind of day personas and we have our night personas and the movie i think um there's a lot of very scattered symbolism in the movie around this sort of thing but i do kind of think that the movie comes down the side of like your night persona should stay at night like that, that it is perverse to trot your night persona out during the day, right? The people who are going around wearing the tiger print and the leopard print and then the teased out hair and the crazy jumpsuits during the day are kind of seen as weird and, and, and not only perverse, but like not trustworthy and, and, uh, and not the kind of people that you want to be around because, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they're not your friends. They're not your family, right? They, they can't be trusted, but at night under the lights, if you can be with somebody that you trust, that's the time when you can be like stretched out, you know, uh, Burt Reynolds style. I mean, this is the cannonball run directors or whatever, right? Like in, in sort of sensuous post seventies style across the handlebars of bicycle. Um, you know, it's, it's basically like, it's, 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 it's the erotic, right? Um, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the libidinous. That's what I would call it. I would say that it is the libidinous life impulse, uh, right? Is the, uh, is, is what's being expressed in the dream in the BMX dream ballet in the gymnasium, which is the sort of night space of the Apollonian. It's the Dionysian and Apollonian dichotomy. Whereas BMX biking during the day is the Apollonian. It's about excellence, right? It's about practice. It's about uh, perfection, right? And and there is a kind of striving to it, and people fall, but it's about this kind of blinding beauty of daylight. But then there's also Dionysian BMX biking, which is this sort of uh, it's it's kind of um, what's well, sexual. It's it's more it's more um liberated and unconventional you know down is up up is down pete would you say that there's kind of a dichotomy between oh let's call it a uh a style that's um 
you know, free. And, uh, <laughs> and then, and then like, uh, motocross Emo that is crossed. <laughs> right? um, like, yeah, uh, you could say it that way. Yeah, sure. That there um, is that. Cause this is freestyle, you know, uh, mm-hmm riding and and not you know race oriented kind of obstacle oriented motocross um motocross riding like whereas sort of uh motocross is really like a, a man versus nature um conflict or man versus man conflict the the freestyle is really a man versus self kind of conflict or i should say person we should come up with with non-sexist ways to to express this you know person versus uh uh versus self i uh, have you guys have either of you guys seen heaven's gate the michael cimino movie no no it's uh i, I was mean, turned off because it's the name of that cult <laughs> i guess i think it was uh i think it was the movie first but the um uh, I mean, this movie came out before Top Gun, but still feels like it rips it out, right? <laughs> I think it came out the same time. I think it came out the same time, around the same year. Yeah, but uh, so, you know, uh, Michael Trudeau, so, Heaven's Gate. He made the yeah. Deer Hunter. He made uh, you know Super Brilliant. This was the follow up. It was, I think, the most expensive movie at the time that had ever been made. Something like forty million dollars, or you know, uh, on on the order of that. Huge flop. Uh, you know, terrible box office. He never recovered, really. Um, and you know what? It's an interesting movie. Like, it's not. It it is not a you know summer smash but like uh it's an interesting movie there's a scene in it uh that i recall where chris christopherson is dancing um with someone and all of a sudden it just goes sepia for no reason like and this is not a stylized you know this is not it was it's very stylized in in some ways but it's not a movie where uh it will operate at inconsistent distances from reality right but just all of a sudden in the middle of the um you know in the middle of the film it goes sepia and we sort of puzzled this over as you know in high school film class like well why does he do this we sort of decided that like well he's kind of acknowledging how much he's romanticizing the thing that's going on right like that it goes uh, it goes sepia. This is kind of the haze of memory. It's kind of not to be trusted in a straightforward way, right? And that this is like, you can sort of imagine as an adult that a lot of your memories might get sort of the haze of sepia uh, on them. Um, but that's not what it feels like at the time, you know, to dance to dance with somebody, um, to feel the heat with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right like that's at, at the time uh in the experience in the moment especially when you're young and your feelings are in general stronger both because they're new and because of just how your your hormones and your neurology just how your body physically is set up to have feelings right like it's not that the world goes sepia it's that the world goes neon you know, so like to to me, uh, what what Pete said, I think ha- definitely tracks w- with the movie. I think there's this other aspect where it's being like one of the reasons that this movie is like us. You know, you look at yourself and you see us. Is that like it really gets inside the experience? Um, in in a, a really tremendous way, like the the film the the film is like really concerned with with experience with the kind of um sensuous reality you know of what it's like to ride a, a motorcycle they like jump in a cold a bicycle, lake. bicycle. Uh, yeah a, mo- a motocross <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> sorry i was yeah and, and again like i'm importing it into my i'm importing it into my life like i i like i get this feeling when i ride a motorcycle now you know mm-hmm. it go, it goes faster Right, but, like, <laughs> but I realize I've become the cop, um, mm. uh, and not just because I have a sick mustache, but uh, you know, but because I've sort of I've graduated, right? And like, um, it's a, it's a very interesting scene. The scene with the cop, the the kind of the prerogatives of youth and the prerogatives of age, kind of testing themselves against 
against one another. No, but like how it feels to ride uh, to ride a motor uh, to to ride a bicycle to ride a BMX bike. How it feels to like do the flip in the air and to to land on your back. Like how it feels to jump into a cold lake like cold water and it's like it's a it's surprising it's a little painful the wind gets knocked out of you it's exhilarating your heart is is pounding your breathing increases right like and this movie just lives in those kind of sensory details of experience which is why to me a little bit the um the race is the least interesting part of the movie. The actual last 10 minutes when they, when they run the race. Because um, it's rote, you know? And it's, it's predictable. It's kind of a predictable striving uh, set against the kind of the, the joy... F- I mean, it takes place on a, a track, right? There's, like, no room for self-expression. Uh, that like, and also, very notably, all the characters are covered in helmets and goggles. Yeah, and you can't see their see their faces. Yeah, the helmets. I mean, even in helmets, you can, you know, in other parts of the movie, when crew wears a helmet, which you should always wear. They're, they're, did you watch till the end of the credits and see the disclaimer from the producers what? at the end? No. It's like you should <laughs> always warning? <laughs> you should always wear safety gear when you're doing stunts like this because you can, you know, these are are trained professionals. But like, um, yeah, e- even when he's wearing a, he has like this improvised helmet that looks like a hockey mask or something that like um you know that uh notably has like a cage on the front where you can see his face you know and like he can be he can be the most crew uh crew because you can you know because you can see his face also the music the scoring of the race not up to the standard of the of the music supervision and the the score of the rest of the movie um it was a little well, it wasn't the wasn't the finest moment of a score that has some fine moments. Anyway, last least interesting part, the uh, climax of the movie from a plot point of view. Least interesting part of the movie. Yeah. So so okay. So um, totally agree. I think we should talk about the cop. Yeah. Because it's it's pertinent to the situation that we're all in right now, right? Which is of course um, that we are waiting outside of a house to chase a bunch of children no so so um so it sounds sounds sinister when you put it that way okay i don't remember why the cop is chasing them at the beginning i also don't know what house they're in like so so they're in a house at some point in the movie they're in like a clubhouse that's like their clubhouse that's like they have a clubhouse yeah it looks like a it looks like a uh double wide trailer or something like that that like like a modular home or something or a modular office thing that they is disused and that they hang out in like near the lumber yard you know and it's like the cops the cops here and he wants to play you know yes Right. And so the police and so I don't think that I was trying to figure out if I'd missed them doing anything that would have indicated that the stakes of the chase were like being arrested. Um, it didn't seem as such. Right. No. Um, yeah. It was, you might be able to extrapolate that they were trespassing on, you know, uh, on, on the property of this business that owns this lumberyard. Um, uh, if you it. wanted to, if you wanted to. But I think it's a more interesting read to think that, like, it's purely a game. Right. So there's a cop who is a caricature of a cop because he has a huge mustache and air aviator sunglasses and he's super chubby and he's on a, and he is on a motorcycle uh, with the sort of chip style. Cause that's the time period. And he chases them through the lumber yard and around town. And you get the sense that he just does this periodically. And, um, and, and he is this sort of threatening presence. Uh, you, you're, you're set up a little bit by um, my favorite Martian is the other thing that the Thornton Wilder dude in this movie was in uh, when my favorite Martian is like, you know, what was it? Life would be better if there were no children or something on those lines. The world would be such a great place if there weren't any children. He says there's this idea that the authorities in the town is an idea that is like pretty roundly refuted over the course of the movie and is a, is a real kind of bait and switch. But the notion that the authorities local to the town hate the kids and their free spirit and are thus always kind of sort of harsh, their harsh, their vibes or whatever. Right. And like bust up their parties and things like that. But no, it's that the cop enjoys riding his motorcycle as much as the kids like riding their bicycles, but he can't pretend 
Like he has to do it under the auspices of doing his job because he doesn't have that kind of suspended space like the kids have to just sort of chillax and ride his motorcycle whenever he wants. Right. Because he has to be the police officer. And so he has this hostility to the kids because of the cat and mouse game that he plays with them and the ways that the members of the of the town kind of cooperate to, like, enable the kids to escape the cop. And it's this whole sort of celebration that the town seems to endeavor upon on a fairly regular basis. Um, and so there's this presumed enmity that's performed but has no real teeth as far as we can tell that is then subverted at the end of the movie where the cop – is the biggest advocate for the members of the town giving of their own money to support him to sort of be able to legally participate in the hell track race. Right. Like it's like you, Mark, what does he say? What is the sort of gist of his speech? It's really interesting. Um, it's like, if you ever had a dream, right. Um, and, and if, and if we can't get behind him wanting to do this thing, right. Like, uh, it's the idea that him being yeah. A, yeah, being a child on the verge of adulthood who has this powerful talent and dream. I mean, if, what it feels a lot like is the prequel to Hamilton, where everybody gets together and like helps the talented Hamilton, you know, escape the Caribbean and head to the mainland uh, where presumably he will send back help, which he never did. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, how does a Viking orphan son of Adrian? No, um. <laughs> <laughs> so, exactly. I, I, you're you're uh, just to challenge one brief point there yeah, about sure. the kind of the hostility that the, that the policeman feels to the, to the kids and that overall that the town feels. Um, it's very notable, right? After the lumberyard chase, um, he's not like you know like r- full of rage. He gives this like look of respect to yeah. the kids, like it's that kind of thing where it's like you got me, kids, and he you know points his fingers like you know in a very playful way and gives a bit of a smile as the kids. Uh, um, huff and puff away on their bicycles, right? And that doesn't. Um, you're right, though, that the overall like hostility to the kids there is there. I mean, maybe it's just like the movie, just like is not totally consistent. That is totally possible <laughs> as well. But may, I mean, I guess if you wanted to tie it all together, right? I guess that is the foreshadowing, right? Like you know, he respects the kids, but the the town expects him to um, try to quote unquote keep them under control. But by the end. Um, you know, the respect that he feels for them is obvious and and comes through and uh, encourages the rest of the town to allow the, the kids to to break through. Now, like tying this to our uh, um, to our, our current moment and, and the politics of the now, like, again, going back to that look of respect at the beginning, the cop was never a real threat and like a right. true menace and danger to the kids. Um, he's they're they're all part of the same community, which is a very important uh, yes. distinction to uh, uh, the, one of the big the big problems we talk about now: how the cops are alienated from the communities, and the communities alienated from the police that are supposed to protect them, and that that's why they see them as threats. So, uh, an interesting, like a totally coincidental counterpoint to watching this movie uh, in 1986 uh, in 2020. Um, oh, but we should also state like the very obvious thing. Uh, about this movie that is just like uh uh inescapable watching it now is that i think there might be one person of color that you see on screen in this movie just yes. one and everyone else is white white and she's white, dying white, white, a t-shirt white. yeah right it's, like it's, she, she doesn't have like, a speaking she's line working yeah, in the t-shirt there. factory or exactly yeah. yeah yeah it it which is which is which is it's very it's very noticeable but it's it's kind of one of those things that i'm sure at the time um it would have been more noticeable if there were more people of color in the movie. Not that's not to defend it, but it's like the movie is very grounded in its own beliefs in like in the in the people making it have their own beliefs about small town life and small town America that is not inclusive of, you know, people that they probably would see as the other right in this kind of situation. Yeah, for sure. The Karate Kid has a big one up on uh, Rad in terms of being a story about people from different communities uh, or different backgrounds or even just different ethnicities in the same community trying to get along um, and 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 trying to get the respect that they deserve um, from the people who deny it them for for petty or non-existent reasons. The the closest Um, this movie comes to acknowledging uh, a a sort of big tent society is the fact that Lori Laughlin, the outsider, comes in and then then starts a romantic relationship. Yeah, the the exotic outsider is Aunt Becky. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let, let's talk about this as, as we start as we uh, uh, start to reach into this discussion. Right. Um, you know, speaking of watching this movie, a 1986 movie, 2020 Eyes, Lori Laughlin, 
if I need to remind you, uh, has pled guilty to federal crimes related to the college admission scandal. Um, and I guess like the surface level nostalgia read there, right, is that, um, well, things were innocent and pure in 1986. Lori Laughlin was not a felon then, but she is now. And um, I guess that's kind You're of a, a bad way they to look at it. They were blowing rails off a bicycle fender when they were making this movie. I'll bet these kids were all... No, I don't, I don't know. Uh, fun fact, actually. Uh, that fun fact, Lori Laughlin's character's speech in this movie against taking the SAT was entirely ad lib. That wasn't even a plot point in the script. She just has these really strong opinions about how the SAT is... <laughs> <laughs> You can take it in six months. I know someone who took a whole semester off, and it was fine. It doesn't matter. Look, you can go to college whenever you want. Like, like, look, (laughs) if it really comes down to it, like, we can find a guy to go in there and take it for you. Have mercy. Have mercy. Um, So, yeah, look, I. I feel to like, be fair, she doesn't actually ride the BMX bike. She just has her picture taken on top of it, and then the picture gets sent to the admissions office. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to look. I've, I've, I've come to praise Lori Laughlin, not I to know. Her. I'm sorry. Like, and in cool. this, like in this movie, well, I, I'm not sure it is exactly cruel. It, it's kind yeah. of punching up, but the... Um, yeah, that's true. The stakes are not... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never mind. Continue. Like, like this... Exactly. Like, the stakes for this kid in the SAT in the movie, like, the, the, the stakes are, he takes it at a different administration of the test, right? Yes. But, um, <laughs> but look, like, uh, Lori Laughlin is radiant. Like, she's, yes. uh, you know, she's uh, obviously beautiful, you know, but, like, there is something, and it, you can tell that, like, she's the actor of the kids. She's the actor, you know, the one who went on to have a, a career of sort of national and international stature uh, in this movie because, like... I just uh, the when she sees before the dance before the the bicycle dream ballet, um, she sees crew riding. She like gives him a little chin like huh, and then like gives him a little jerk of the head like let's go into the thing. And she says like three pages worth of dialogue with those you know with two uh, two little motions like you, you can't not watch her. She's always sort of expressing and experiencing when she's on screen and in a, in a movie where I think some, one of the subjects, one of the, like the kind of manifest topics of the movie is experience is like actual lived physical experience. Like that is, that is who you want acting in your movie, you know, not someone you would get to play Hamlet and like, you know, be able to kind of like piece through the intricacies of like, contradictory thought impulses or something like that but someone who can actually exist in the world who can like be in the world and have a kind of you know have a kind of like excellence of expression of uh, of of what it is to kind of move through the world and to feel right 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 i mean she is really she really is a standout i mean of course this is a movie that has like a bunch of people in it who have a ton of experience but they're all older and so of the kids, she's definitely the standout. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, well, I mean, Bart Taylor is the coolest, though. He is the man. No, it's, it's not. It's uh, well, I mean, I think something horrible happened to the little sister, didn't it? Like, is that I, I was trying to look it up and it was like she was in like four things. Right. And then and then she like got cancer or something. I mean, she's still around. I think I wish I well, I know what happened to her because that that little girl was she was so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and so, but I would agree that that Lori Laughlin is so much of a standout in this movie that she makes she literally makes his his ex girlfriend vanish from the film after Lori Laughlin <laughs> appears. His ex girlfriend does not appear in the movie again. He might she might be in several scenes, but is so outshined by Lori Laughlin that her lines are not audible and her image is not seen. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, no, Lori Laughlin is. Would that we all had the had the charisma? Would that you yeah. know? Would that we all could be could be rad in that? Uh, <laughs> you know, in that particular way. <laughs> Would that we all could be rad indeed. <laughs> all right. Let's leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, Pete and Mark, thank you for letting me twist your arm into uh, going on this rad journey with me. I'm glad that we all found it. Uh, uh, I'm glad that we all found it. Um, guys, I'm struggling for words. If you have an idea for what one <laughs> word could describe this movie, leave it in the comments on the show notes. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. 
it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.